Hello and welcome to The Logistics Tribe. I'm Boris Felgendreer, founder of The Logistics Tribe, and today's guest is Eric Wirsing. Eric leads global innovations at DB Schenker, one of the largest logistics providers in the world. Now, it would be tempting to just sit down with Eric and pick his brain on the various innovations and technologies that will change the world of logistics and supply chain management in the years to come. But instead, I chose a different frame for our conversation. I wanted to know what Eric has actually changed his mind on recently. Because it feels like there's so much change happening in logistics and supply chain management everywhere you look, that we all have to constantly update our maps, so to speak. And I wanted to know how Eric has updated his map lately. Here's the result. Eric, welcome to the Logistics Tribe. Thanks for being on the program, man. Many thanks for the invitation, Boris. Awesome, awesome. It's been a while since we last talked on a podcast, which was, when was this, 2020, early 2020? Early 2020, I think it was in February, and it feels already like ages. Yeah. It does, mm -hmm. it does. And this was actually, so now we're talking remotely, we have to do a Zoom call because things are not quite back to normal yet. So one of the last Zoom calls, hopefully, because we're, it feels like we're on the final stretch. But I yeah, so. I've, I've done most of the podcast recordings lately uh, via Zoom. But back in the days, we were in the same room. Everything was still normal then, but we were just, just, just before the first lockdown, right? So it was like literally two or three, four weeks before the stuff hit the fan, so to speak. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. I think we met, we met in Leipzig so really physically, so I really enjoyed it. It was a, a huge uh, conference there in that time, so more than yeah. 600 people together in one place. So again, that feels like uh, somewhere in the history. Yeah, yeah let's see how, how long it will take until we're back to that level. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? But Eric, why don't you quickly introduce yourself to the audience? You are the head of innovation or the VP of innovation at DB Schenker. DB Schenker, one of the largest 3PLs in the world. Most of the audience know that, but just give us a quick overview of yourself and how you got started. You've been with DB Schenker quite a while, right? If I recall correctly. That is true. So happy to introduce myself. So as you said, my name is Eric, Eric Wissing. I'm the Vice President of Global Innovation at DB Schenker. As you said already, long time at Schenker. So exactly 21 years, nine months and 17 days. So quite a long time. Oh, you have a, you have a clock on your on your desk or uh, something? I have a calendar there, but uh, <laughs> that's just... But <laughs> well, you're not fun. counting the days. That sounds like you're counting the days. At least it's not a countdown to something else. It's <laughs> a little bit, yes. So, But uh, I was, let's say, in different positions and different responsibilities and uh, heading different departments. And since now the last five years, I'm heading the global innovation department. So caring about all new technologies, all uh, new R&D topics, uh, early stage technologies when it comes to startup activities, trends, foresights, uh, forecast topics. That's them with me always to find out, is there something in it for us as a logistic company? Is it a chance? Is it a possibility? Is it a threat? Is it an opportunity? And maybe it's a new revenue stream for the future as well. So everything. Yeah. So I always, let's say, telling the people innovation for me is that always bringing new knowledge to the organization and in the best way, mm -hmm. most easiest and effective way that people and our colleagues can really deal with these kind of new knowledge and information to really show that to our customer, show that to our colleagues, that our colleagues know we are a fantastic, great company, but also that the customer see, oh, there is a company who really wants to be there even by tomorrow. So that is something what innovation is all about. Yeah, and um, as I said, most of the members in the audience know DB Schenk, but give us, a, but give us an idea of, of the scale of this organization. It's massive, right? How big are you? <laughs> 
I am personally no. So my, let's <laughs> say our company. So we are let's say founded uh, 150 years ago. So next year we have a big celebration. 150 years founded in Vienna in Austria, but uh, from Gottfried Schenker. But uh, now we are in 130 countries, more than 75,000 people. Revenue last year more than 17 billion. So that's uh, a big company. We are belonging to Deutsche Bahn, so to the German railway organization. But we are caring about more than land transport, air freight, ocean freight, and contract logistics. So these are our business units. And that on a global yeah. scale everywhere. Yeah, and just again, how, how you and your team fit into the organization. Tell us about your team and, and, and the way it, it operates inside that large organization. We are a part of the, let's say, global head office, so part of the global organization. So we are, I'm reporting directly to our CIO and CDO and caring about, let's say, cross-functional for all business units, for all countries and trying always saying trying because before you can imagine with 75,000 people you have 75,000 brains and uh, great yeah. ideas and uh, great people but we are trying to bring this kind of visibility transparency from the whole organization to more or less everybody who's interested so therefore we are let's say having this kind of let's say cross-functional approach and uh, really integrated in supporting sales HR marketing IT but also then the business unit land air ocean contract logistic so more or less for everybody and also to have this kind of cross sharing cross knowledge uh, approach bring that from one business unit to another business unit always open up this kind of uh, silo and box thinking what traditionally in such a huge organization sometimes happen so we are always there between the shares and trying to connect the right people with the right approach and bringing one demand to one solution and vice versa. And that even more than also to the, to the external community. So also dealing with a lot of, let's say, universities, startup approaches, but also with a lot of customers because customers are demanding for digitalization, innovation, new things, because they always, let's say, forcing us to become better every day. So and therefore you need somehow really this kind of spirit and new ideas, new way of thinking sometimes. It's not always that we are the cleverest people on earth, absolutely not. But we are, might connect the right people who are the cleverest people on earth to really combine, let's say, demand and solution to bring the right people then together. But I guess you have to be the most curious people in the organization. That's one of my one, most one. favorite words. So curiosity is one of the biggest driver for us. For those, let's say yeah. curiosity, even in private life, it's something that is driving me. It's driving our team. It's driving the whole organization. Curiosity, open-minded, diverse thinking. That is, let's say, a boost and a push and really the engine for, for innovation and for new things. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I kind of want to talk to you about today, which is some of the things that you have recently changed your mind on. And again, the, the last 15 months, 18 months were very extraordinary times. A lot of things have changed through this. The world pre-COVID and then there's COVID and then there's going to be post-COVID. Very distinct phases, very distinct time in history, really, especially for logistics and supply chain. I would assume that not only because of that, but just in general, a lot of things are changing. And hence, you also have to change your mind on stuff. You know, there may, you make projections about the future, about technologies. That's, that's sort of your, your daily bread and butter, the, your, your daily work. I'm curious to find out some of the things that you just changed your mind on in the last year or so. What changed? Let's go one after another. There's probably tons of things that you've changed. I hope you changed your mind on. Of course. <laughs> I guess it uh, comes with, with, your, with your job of being flexible, of adjusting your point of view as new evidence, as new stuff emerges, as technologies rise out of nowhere, others fall for the, by the wayside, some get overhyped, some are you never met, meet the expectations, you have the got, gotten a hype cycle, right? You have all of the stuff going on and you're right in the middle of it and you have to assess stuff and you have to constantly, constantly change your mind. Hence my question, what have you changed your mind on lately? 
I'd say I think we all learned a lot over the last month. So uh, you, you make some fun about that. I'm counting days and uh, maybe months and years. So now I'm sitting in 67 weeks at home. That's, let's say, yeah. one topic that I have never expected before. So when I think it was the 16th of March last year when we all got the information. Now we have to work from home by t- tomorrow. And uh, I already told my wife in that time, and because we got the information already from our Chinese colleagues, that they are already sitting since more than 10 weeks at home. And I told my yeah. wife, never ever will. I'm sitting 10 weeks at home. I will not survive. <laughs> but here, little did you, little did you know, <laughs> 67 weeks later, I'm still there. So still yeah. existing. And I think we all learned a lot of new new things and new, let's say, possibilities, how digitalization is really shaping our, our our daily life, how we can integrate that. I think in a, and also the whole pandemic situation was a huge boost for digital concepts, for virtual setups, for virtual environments. And we have never expected that before, that that's such a huge impact that that even is possible. So to really interact with customers, with suppliers, with colleagues. So I hired people in the last year. I've never seen it. I have no clue how tall they are because you're always <laughs> seeing the people until to their breast. So you yeah. don't know if, if you are one meter eighty or one meter sixty, and even I don't care. But I think the most important thing is, let's say, switching the camera on, getting somehow an, a feeling for a person. But it's let's say working environment, also let's say the working environment at home for all the people who are able to work from home because it's not. Uh, not fitting to every, let's say, job profile. But uh, in our organization, and we are 75,000 people, as I said before, and we had in the peak around 40,000 people really sitting at home and working from home. And that that is possible, so no one has really expected that. And also, to be honest, had the same, let's say, pandemic hit us, let's say, five to 10 years before, we were all in big, big trouble because the technology was not on that level and that ready to really do that, provide that, and be capable or able to really deal with these kind of circumstances. So therefore, mm-hmm. that the biggest learning is it is possible. You can use your time more efficient. I think also the learning is that uh, we really, let's say, got another, let's say, inspiration, but also, let's say, feeling to work-life balance. I think there we all have to explore and to, to learn new things. Because when you're the whole day in the same environment and then also sleeping in the same room, maybe when you have a small flat or apartment, that's then really pain so really taking care and what i really like and that's something because i'm dealing with a lot of international people then you always have this let's say you and mr and mrs and whatever so in germany we have always this struggle with uh, can i say you or do in germany but i really saw and feel and even through all hierarchies that people are open up and getting more personally more emotional so every let's say good leaders are really open up and because everybody shows more personal things we have seen so many living rooms bathrooms kinder rooms kitchens whatever we have seen when you're switching the camera on i think that that's really it's a good thing for a german attitude because as a german we are normally a little bit more harsh and a little bit more strict a little bit more governance and following the rules and of course uh, what we are doing there, so how we are acting with people. So, but I really saw and it was more around around the Christmas time. Maybe it was about why because of Christmas that this kind of social aspect and social inspiration from people, how they want to interact with people, was getting more and more. And I've seen even on social media on LinkedIn that was exploding. I would say so, just for my for my feeling. Yeah. But that was something. Where, what I really like that people are opening up uh, more. It was never easier to get in contact with a person from another company. You just knock on the door on on LinkedIn on Xing on whatever kind of social media platform just are you willing for a virtual coffee if you're not coming directly with a sales pitch then that's always possible and that is 
I've met so many fantastic, great new people over the last months, and I've never yeah. Yeah. thought that that might happen, that I'm also able to do because normally, if you would ask me one and a half year ago, I'm not a big fan of home office. But yeah. now I would say, why not? Do I want mm -hmm. to go back to home uh, to, to office uh, five days a week? Never, ever. No, yeah. that's over. That yeah, topic I, is I, over. I like I like what you said about about that newfound casualness and about a sort of breaking down of hierarchies and this sort of because it's an interesting blend of intimacy as well as disconnectedness, right? In a way, I think what what contributes to to us calling each other "do" more often, which is the very informal way of addressing people in Germany. If, if you don't know each other, you typically don't say "do," right? right? You say "z." And it's it's easier to do that in a virtual environment because there's still that distance in between, right? So maybe if you're in the same room with somebody that's much higher up in the hierarchy, that would be a little bit more difficult than if you were in a in a Zoom room, right? If you're wearing your shorts or whatever, and if you're in a casual environment. So I think that blend lends itself to to that development. I think right? absolutely, absolutely, and that that is something I think that's really good yeah. for German people. It makes more personally the whole thing and. The, I really like that because sometimes it's easier. And I think that is also something that we will all learn and hopefully also keep after the pandemic is then somewhere hopefully over. Yeah? Because I think you can't go back from a personal saying that is uh, Boris, then now back to Mr. Feldentreer. So I think you will, yeah. we will not do that. Yeah. So therefore, that's fantastic. I really like that because why the heck do we do that? So it that is one, let's say, Let's say positive effect beside all the digitalization and the boost for universities and for kindergartens and for schools. I think what they have done in the last uh, one and a half year would not have happened in the next five to ten years if uh, Corona would not have boosted them that much and dramatically. But of course, there are, let's say, when it comes and you ask about, let's say, what has changed and what we have not expected or because uh, what we also saw that, that the last one and a half year was also a booster for some technologies, but also some technologies or let's say some techniques. Uh, went a little bit more back from the hype cycle or let's say from the from the readiness level of usage and uh, one topic that was let's say really pushed uh, further into the last uh, year was the topic of additive manufacturing and 3d printing because uh, hmm. we also expected mm -hmm. at the beginning that will be directly fast and there are a lot of companies and uh, universities and scientific institutes are working this technology and so on that will be there everywhere soon Yeah. And it was a little bit more far away. And when we had our last conversation beginning of last year, we also expected maybe it's uh, yeah, it's slowly coming, but let's see. But during the pandemic and when everybody saw, okay, there are a whole country is going into a lockdown. So who had ever expected that a country can go in a lockdown and industries, complete industries are closed. So and we are acting in a global, let's say, setup uh, as a, a whole in industry. So now companies and a lot of our customers have to rethink about their supply chains and now they have thought about okay what is plan b how to mm -hmm. really get the spare parts the topics faster and let's say with a more let's say um individual base uh, faster to my to my operations to my plants and then the additive manufacturing part and the 3d printing part was really growing last year started hmm. with some spare parts but then in the end also healthcare products and uh, so face mask for for hospitals and all these topics they were out of order where nothing the whole world market was let's say empty because everybody needs these kind of uh, topics for the hospitals and then they the additive manufacturing part starts to do that hospitals open up own 3d printing rooms within the hospital just to manufacture their own equipment And that was a huge push and a huge boost for the whole technology. 
Oh, that I wasn't is... aware of that. And I'm sure I'm not aware of any, any face mask getting 3D printed anywhere. <laughs> oh, that was quite crazy. So, uh, and even here, even then the German attitude was somehow a little bit hindering to really push that even further. Some other countries were a little bit more, let's say, um, the, the, the need was higher. So we, for example, we printed together with Airbus and Deutsche Bahn, we printed in, in, in Hamburg, four and a half thousand face masks uh, together with them and we transported them then to Spain. So we also offered this face mask because, you know, pandemic situation last uh, last uh, spring was uh, dramatically in, 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 in Spain. So and the hospitals were all completely out of stock. But uh, we also offered the same face mask to German hospitals. Do you also need this? Because we can manufacture them and uh, are, you, are you willing to, to use them? But uh, most of the German hospitals came them back and said, nah, no, there is no official CE stamp on that. Said, yeah, it's 3D printed. So that's uh, more or less a handmade thing. I said, nope. Uh, but space it, I don't care about this official stamp. We need face mask. Please bring us. And that was, let's say, a different kind of attitude. When the pressure is too high, then you sometimes open up for, for other thinking. So. Yeah, oftentimes 3D printing got um, discussed in the context of it being not a, a positive or good thing for the work of logistics providers because there will be just less logistics to be taken care of. How did it affect you? I mean, this is not a, a huge shift, so you probably don't see any volumes dropping because of no. of local 3D printing. How do you how do you take advantage of, of that trend? At the moment, I would say it's a kind of an add-on. So to offering, let's mm -hmm. say, an additional service or to, to really screen the spare parts or the material of, of a customer so because when you're having already let's say the stock of the, of the customer and your responsibility having a warehouse there where everything is in then you can really screen maybe 10,000 different products and maybe 20 out of them might be already 3d printable so then take mm -hmm. them out of the shelf take them out of the stock and print it on demand locally normally it's let's say the most horrible thing that could happen to a logistic person that everything is already there where it's needed so but now we're really printing on demand locally, so no transportation, no warehousing. We bring it into a virtual setup as an, again, add-on in the beginning. It's another form mm -hmm. of customer bonding in the first step. So to really offer additional services for even for spare parts where the manufacturing is maybe too expensive because when you have a kind of an old timer topic, so very old topic, and then you go back to the original OEM and telling them, I need five of these spare parts. Said, yeah. 10,000, then we are maybe starting the machine again, but only five, not possible. Then this yeah. technology makes sense. And that's another form of customer support. But what we also see, let's say spare part is one part. Um, now the whole air, um, um, aerospace industry is jumping that like Airbus or Boeing, they all print more and more and even bigger things. What got the huge push last year is around really healthcare products. One topic and what I can see, and that is also something where now people really believe in the technology, see the technology has a sense and also, let's say, a business case behind that the whole construction and building industry is uh, the next big industry who will be maybe not directly disrupted, but there is a disruption potential even higher than for logistic industry because uh, the construction side, so we are building houses and uh, like uh, in the Stone Age, so wood and the stone put it together and cut somewhere left and right. So it's always the same but now with 3d printing or additive manufacturing you can really build like the nature you're only printing what you need so there's less waste it's a really sustainable building and it's even more stable best better isolated so this for the construction side and even cheaper less material mm -hmm. less waste better isolated more stable even in in areas where you have a lot of problems with earthquakes that's now possible to really see and build bionic constructions and therefore i would say the the construction side is uh, 
getting interesting for that kind of new technology. It's not new, but they are now tackling here this industry. Yeah, where do you see some of the fields where DB Schenker can play a role? Obviously, they're not gonna they're not gonna show up on any construction site anytime soon to print houses. But where do you see fields of really really playing a role and moving into? Say never know, so we don't. Know. <laughs> so yeah. when we can earn money with something, we have a look on that <laughs> if there is a possibility for us. Because it's yeah. also the topic. So we are really driving the topic of new business models. Because uh, let's say ten years ago we were perfect logistics service provider. We still are perfect logistics mm -hmm. service provider, but now we, are, we have to open up because let's say the traditional business model of a freight forwarder is to, to organize the transport from A to B and to store things for a certain time. That's, let's say, mm -hmm. in a very easy nutshell yep. Yep. business model. Yep. But now let's say the dispatching part, the organizing part, that will maybe do an artificial intelligence in the future. The storing part is a robotic automatization topic in the warehouse. So what is then our value? So that's exactly the question. So 75,000 people in 2,000 locations in 130 countries, what are they doing tomorrow? So mm -hmm. and that is then really something where we said, okay, what do we have? What kind of assets? We have then 700,000 customers, we have the buildings, we have the facilities, the branches, the knowledge, the people, and then really rethink. And 3D printing is one part where you can start to consult, so open up consulting topics. But maybe mm -hmm. we also, let's say, connect topics on the kind of platform topics where we, let's say, orchestrate like an Airbnb for getting where's the next sofa or bed, where's the next square meter in a warehouse. So opening up this kind of platform topics, but also the construction side. So when they are now starting with additive manufacturing, of course, you have to bring the equipment somewhere. You have to do that. You have to train people, consult people. Somebody has to be the owner of the equipment then for the next construction site, for the next one. So these kind of sharing models, you always need somehow an first investor or directly a sharing possibility. And that is something where we see, okay, there's a logistic need behind yeah. bringing things from mm -hmm. A to B to support that things, to do the spare part logistic, to have an eye on the topic if the machine is uh, damaged or whatever. So there are a lot of possibilities, uh, possibilities where I would say there is a chance for a logistic professional to earn money. But even when it comes, let's say, to new technologies and all the sustainability-driven approaches from customer, governments, and society, that's something what logistic people uh, have to really be aware that uh, what's what's going on there. Maybe maybe in the future our two thousand branches are landing zones for flying drones. Why not? Because uh, we mostly we have a branch, we have an area around, so we have a yard. Uh, we have a warehouses with a flat uh, roof, so why not lending there for something? And uh, yeah, this you, kind. You yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, you you guys are investors in, in Volocopter, right? Which is one of the, the prominent German-based uh, VTOLs, right? Exactly, yeah. So How are they doing? I would say fantastically. So uh, they they started with a Volo City. They have different products now already in the portfolio. And that, that's the Volo City. <clears throat> Volo City is a passenger yeah. track, uh, taxi flying um, drone with 18 rotors for two people. That was, let's say, the first product. And uh, But that was not, not that interesting for us because we are not in passenger transport. But then they open up also, oh, we are also working on a cargo drone, so a heavy lifted cargo drone. And that is something where we really fall in love with because we have everywhere this uh, diesel bands, uh, sustainability topics, uh, how to bring topics on the last mile into the urban environment, how to bring things on the mountain. It's a kind of a grain because this uh, cargo drone can really then take a 200 kilogram and flying 40 kilometers from A to B autonomously. And that is something was the second product and they developed in Volo Connect now, uh, published that some weeks ago. That's really flying more than 100 kilometer and more to come. So there are plenty of, let's say, good initiatives 
And um, yeah, I would say that is, let's say, one of the, the, the great startups from Germany. There's there another, let's say, um, when it comes to passenger transport. But uh, I really like this kind of um, technologies. Uh, not that there are, let's say, in the next uh, five years, there are millions of drones flying in the, in the air and it's getting dark because of the drones in the air. I don't expect that. But uh, offering special services, new possibilities, because all these kind of uh, evils uh, are electric. So less uh, when it comes again to sustainability and the pollution, they are less absolutely more silenter than a helicopter, for example. So also the, the, the noise pollution yeah. is a topic that we have to be aware of. So Wallacopter is a great opportunity. And uh, let's say our biggest challenge is now to integrate such a vehicle into the supply chain because uh, the customer will not have a contact directly to such a heavy lifted cargo drone. It's about, uh, let's say, how to integrate it in the best way. And of course, the uh, legal setup has to be there but EASA is working on that. The certifications are in planning. There are already, we can see that, that they are in the next two to three years. They will be there. Flying above unmanned areas already possible. Flying above manned areas, so flying really into the city. I would guess 23, 24. Around that, then we really see that. So it's very soon. It's not that far in the future. Yeah, and also seems like the, the perfect topic to also change your mind on again in the next few years, right? As as things move quicker than you thought or slower than you thought and so much unpredictability in this whole Absolutely. game to, to, for, for ample um, I can opinion imagine, changes. I had a, a good conversation with my former boss uh, five, six years ago and I was my first conversation with him about drones and mm -hmm. he directly told me, go away with drones. Never ever <laughs> will that work out. So nobody needs that. That's, uh -huh. a, that's a toy. So that's really something for kids playing in the garden at, or for photographers or for for video topics to capture cool video stuff, but nothing for, let's say, B2B environment. But yeah. here we are. We're also using drones in France for inventory scan. That's also a topic. So flying in the warehouse through the shelves, taking pictures, scanning barcodes, taking pictures, and then that's saving a lot of money. So there are technologies that, let's say, some years ago, nobody has expected. Yeah, this may be a good point in time since you just brought up the the conversation that you had with your boss who was um, had one opinion, you may have had another. Talk to me about that sort of tolerance for deferring ideas inside an organization like like Schenker, which is not a small startup, right? It's a, it's a large established organization. Some some would argue it's conservative compared to to maybe a, a new innovative disruptive startup. Talk to me about the the appetite for trying something that may not work. Or, or actually the, the appetite for changing your mind to, to advocate for something in one year and next year, trying something totally different. I mean, that maybe that's, that's lived and sort of embraced in your small part inside the organization, but talk to me about an organization at large. Mm -hmm. I think uh, it's a part of, a, of the culture of a company. And uh, as I said at the beginning, we are roughly 150 years old. So of course we are traditional freight forwarder. And with that size, you somehow have a governance, you have policies, you have regulations, you have a structure, you have hierarchies. That's all that's sometimes hindering to be really creative, agile, fast. Yeah. And the uh, larger you get, the larger you get. The easy, yeah, yeah. Somehow sure. you need that even for legal purpose, uh, legal, legal topics. So you have to set up, let's say, somehow regulations and structures. But when you really want to do that, then it's like um, some people think, okay, let's in, let's uh, set up a workshop and then we are all innovative. Except, yeah, that will never work out. So it's all about, let's say, setting the circumstances, setting the possibility for an organization and really showing by example that we are willing to do that. 
And uh, let's say, first of all, let's say giving somebody the responsibility or setting up innovation from the title. Then also, but if it's a part of your culture, overall strategy, it must be there. Also, the possibility to really see that even the board is acting differently, that they are also contacting uh, startups, other companies, other suppliers, having an eye on the market, uh, listening to trends, sharing their thoughts about the future. All that helps to shape the culture within an organization. And that was not an easy, and I think that's never stopping, because you really have to show and really lead by example that uh, topics like that are welcome, that you are able to deal with them as an organization, showing good examples, sharing the knowledge, the information that somebody has developed something within the organization, make it transparent that there is something. So the, the, the worst case that could happen that nobody believes that good ideas will have a, will succeed in your organization. So make them visible, promote people that there are some great ideas. And of course, and, and let's say sometimes what uh, it's, let's say, protecting me a little bit, maybe protecting, I'm more than 21 years within the company. So sometimes I have, let's say, the the freedom or let's say I'm just uh, taking me, let's say, the, the chance to just try something and do that. It was also, yeah. let's say, um, 10 years ago, we started the first initiatives with electromobility. So starting the first uh, e-truck uh, topics and uh, trying to find the retrofit trucks. So where we took uh, diesel engine out, put electric in, so really ret retrofit uh, trucks. My former bosses also said, why do we do that? That makes no sense. And I said, yeah, we need something like that. Believe me, that will come. So now electromobility and uh, all these kind of diesel bans and initiatives, we are happy that we started there. It's still more to come. And there is like a big push there. And we really would love to have even more e-trucks on the road. But you have to learn to understand, also to show to your organization What are you doing? And sometimes also, let's say, not all initiatives, all pilot projects, all topics what we are driving as an innovation department will succeed and will survive. Yeah, that was and the next thing I was going to ask. Like, what about the appetite or the, the, the tolerance for failure? Any, any, any good examples of, of things, of projects that you've really believed in that spectacularly failed? Ah, spectacular. <laughs> It's a, even a failure is a learning, to be honest. Yeah. And, uh, if you're, let's say, selling the story quite probably. But uh, mm -hmm. maybe there was one topic where we, uh, already some years ago, but it was quite a good one because we developed, let's say, a kind of a um, reusable packaging system. So it's a kind of a plastic box. And we put mm -hmm. all technology that we found into that box. So there was a, a sensor that gets an alert when somebody was opening the box. There was temperature, there was humidity, there was G-forces, vibration. You could measure everything, a light sensor. We had GPS on the box. So that was so such a cool box. We really fall in love with technology. So bring everything to the box. We won the German uh, packaging prize for that. We were awarded from the Global Packaging Award Ceremony in Sydney in that time. Amazing, great success when it comes to publication, marketing. But then we want to sell it to the customer, but no one wants to have it. That was, let's <laughs> yeah. say, a little too much technology. Too, too expensive for the market or not even not Even, even not, not too even expensive. Necessary. We sometimes offer the customers more or less for free. Just use the technology because yeah. we wanted to scale it. But mm -hmm we have not listened to the customer. So this kind mm -hmm. of customer centricity, this kind of customer feedback, and that is something what we learned quite hard because also let's say some years ago, or 10, 15 years ago, we thought, okay, we are one of the biggest logistics service provider on earth. And when we go left, the market will, will follow. When we go right, the market will go right. So, and 
that is not the expectation that customer are having. And this kind of, let's say, design thinking approach, going to the customer, validated with the customer, listen to the customer, that is something that we learn quite hard. Also with some products, with some services that we stopped then later on because nobody wants to have that. What was too complex yeah. to explain it? And that is mm -hmm. also something, make it easy. And also logistic is not complex, but when you're making it complex, then maybe no one really is motivated to use it probably. And that is something, even when you think you have the cleverest product and the coolest service here on earth, going to your customer, getting the feedback, and believe me, 80% of all ideas are destroyed directly because nobody needs that. Yeah. And that is something what we learned in that case, uh, in that way, quite hard. And we stopped the product, by the way, later on. So that, so we are now, we changed solutions. Less, and lessons learned, yeah. That was really a lessons, uh, lessons learned, yeah. Yeah. Let's move back to the topic of, of stuff you've changed your mind on. So we talked about all of the stuff with, with communication around Corona. We talked about 3D printing. We touched on drones. What else, Maybe in one hindsight, you, you, you think you, you really sort of switched opinions on, were surprised by, or changed your opinion on, basically, yeah. Absolutely. So there, I think there's a, maybe one topic uh, what we, where we changed it. It's, our mind in the last weeks and that's also okay. quite interesting because we are having a kind we call it an innovation thesis that's a kind of let's say our focus areas where we are focusing on a certain topics so because there are millions of possibilities and you can work the whole day on something that makes absolutely no sense for your company so mm -hmm. narrow it down to a focus and we also define topics where we don't want to work on at the moment so because mm -hmm. we said okay legal circumstances are too expensive not the right moment whatever yeah. and one topic what we decided in the end of last year beginning of this year said no further activities on autonomous driving on public roads mm -hmm. we said okay we are not an oem we are not the manufacturer of the of the cars so and on and all the trucks so we will really wait until this technology is uh, available and legal wise allowed so we said mm -hmm. stop all activities there that was let's say one of our let's say thoughts but then our Minister for Transport and Infrastructure, Andy Scheuer, came up with the idea, why not changing the law? Has he listened to our innovation thesis? We didn't know. But uh, unfortunately, now 20th of May, so some days ago, they changed the law in Germany. And now Germany is the country, the only country on earth who got the legal setup and the legal possibility to drive autonomously level four. Level, so the level five is the max, the maximum, but level mm -hmm. four means the person is still there, the steering wheel is still there, but you can do whatever you like. So theoretically, you can sleep. You're getting a signal when you have to do something, but level four, the legal setup for doing that is now there in Germany. And that is, let's say, was a little bit unexpected that that yeah. really happened. So now we have to rethink, okay, maybe doing there a little bit more because now the possibility is there to really do that. And we have still a shortage of truck driver. We have in some regions in Germany, the average age is uh, 50 age, 58 of a truck driver, of a professional truck driver. America, we have 56. Australia, by the way, 65. So we have a big issue there. We want to hire even more truck driver, but there are not enough there. Yeah. So therefore, yeah. we have to deal with topics like autonomization and or automatization. And uh, if now the legal setup is also there, let's have a second look on that topic. So that is really something what we have not expected that that will come that fast. Of course, technology-wise, you see a lot of startups and also Tesla and the companies like that are working on something, but the legal setup was then always missing and the legal setups are mostly behind the technology, but uh, that's, let's say, somehow normal, but technology is getting faster and faster available, so therefore also the legal setups and the governance, they have to rethink about their setups to make things easier, adaptable or possible. 
Yeah, what 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 role do you think uh, Schenker could play there in the next few years if you take it seriously? If we could take it seriously, then uh, let's say our approach would always be to integrate it into our operations. And we are not aiming for the topics what we are doing to have, let's say, exclusivity or to be the only one on something because the cake is big enough for a lot of companies. Of course, that, let's say the size of the cake is uh, changing. Logistic demands are getting more and more. But let's say um, the setup of the cake is a little bit different in the future. and. Uh, we also believe that when autonomous driving really will be there and there must be somehow standards, there must be, let's say, links between the topics. And of course, we could be an operator, we could be a fleet provider, but anyhow, we will be, let's say, the person or let's say the company who's bringing the goods into the truck and is mm -hmm. dealing with the security in the truck and taking it out of the truck, deliver it then to the customer side. So this kind of, let's say, orchestration and organization that is there. But an autonomous truck is only, let's say, a part in the supply chain because you have the information flow, you have the physical flow, you have to combine it. And I think the company who makes that as easy and as fast as possible, they will, let's say, succeed and win even more market shares in the future. Because complexity is there, but you have to do it always as easy, as pragmatic as possible. And I think the best example for that is maybe Google, because we're all able to handle Google, one field on the homepage, everybody knows. I can enter there everything and then something happened. And I think logistic is as easy, but it, behind the scenes, it's totally, absolutely complex. And when you have then topics like uh, container shortage and uh, Suez Canal, Suez Channel situations, and now in China with the Corona infection in the, in the harbor, then logistic is really complex and uh, HR and uh, yeah, autonomous trucks could help, could really speed up things. And with the now shortage of capacity in the whole logistic market, some crazy truck drivers start already to drive from China to Europe with the truck because no ship available, no air freight capacity, no rail freight capacity available. So that is really something where we need uh, plan C or D or E. So we need options. And uh, of course, maybe in the future, then the Hyperloop is there that we're bringing the, share, the, the goods and the, the shipments even faster from, from, from Asia to Europe or vice versa. So topics like that are foreseen. And maybe then also to your question there, I think Hyperloop was, there was big hype already three, four years ago. Then it was a little bit silent. Now it's coming back. So yeah, I would the, also say- The, the typical pattern, no? Huh? <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I would guess uh, the Hyperloop technology is really coming. So there are several, I think 15, 16 initiatives all over Europe or dealing with the topic of Hyperloop. I think it's all about standardization. So what's the size of the tube? What's the speed? What's the kind that the right, let's say, setup? But uh, there are like hard Hyperloop from the Netherlands or there are Polish companies, even the Technical University of Munich is working there on several things. So plenty of initiatives. And I think there are the first um, rumors that the first test track in Europe might be between Amsterdam and Frankfurt or Vienna and Bratislava. And uh, Amsterdam, Frankfurt will then be around 50 minutes or something like that. So that's then really fast. And today we have four and a half hours. And yeah. that will change distances, that will change speed and uh, yeah, connectivity at all. Yeah. So in these technologies, uh, it's not enough something for the next 50 years. Nope. I would guess uh, the that's first right. Hyperloop installation in the next five years, somewhere when the first installation is there and also Virgin Hyperloop 1 with Richard Branson and uh, they have collected 
billions of euros and to really make that happen. And India is working on a huge uh, Hyperloop track. Uh, Russia is working on something. The Scandinavian people, Mexico is working on something. So they're everywhere initiatives. Somewhere it's the same with the with the flying drones, so with the heavy lifted cargo drones or with the flying passenger drones. The first mover and uh, they have to prove that it's secure, that it's stable, that everything is working and then another plenty of ideas for new business models are coming. By the way, yeah, I, let's, yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about a related topic to all of these things that you described, which is electrification of transport. Have you changed your mind on anything with regards to electrification of trucking lately? Are you bullish? Are you bearish on it happening anytime soon that trucks on the road will be electrified? Oh, we hope so. So we are really trying to make that happen. Of course, uh, and also the topic, it's about uh, yeah, what to do with the, with the lithium-ion battery in the end. So after the lifetime of a truck, therefore we also, let's say, really have a big interest in hydrogen technology because from the, mm -hmm. from the technology side, even better than or from, let's say, from the carbon footprint in the end, but more expensive, less infrastructure, less availability at the moment. So therefore, at the moment, all the OEMs are jumping onto that. There were also, let's say this, uh, maybe I've heard about this uh, infrastructure programs uh, around Frankfurt Airport with this um, lines above the street where you can charge your truck while you're driving yeah. under that. So like in... I saw uh, some of those test tracks. They look super weird, right? When you drive on the highway next to you is this truck absolutely. that looks like a tram. Yeah. What Exactly, like a tram. What I really like that, uh, let's say that that we are testing technologies like that. So that mm -hmm. let's say that's so fantastic that uh, even the government is giving fundings for testing, even with the clear understanding that will not be the solution for everything. Because it's, let's say it's only extending your battery lifetime so you can then drive 20 kilometers longer, something like that. It's not a completely recharging of your batteries. But uh, the technology is getting better and better. Batteries are getting better and better. We have already trucks with uh, 150, 200, 250 kilometers um, um, distance that they can drive. What is in Europe for plenty of our direct uh, transports so between branch to branch might be enough. And also for the yeah. urban, for the Cody the collection delivery, for the for the for the near distances, um, that is already possible. And uh, we let's say our way we are dispatching goods is now differently because normally you have to take in consideration weight, the volume, and uh, let's say the, the the payload of the of the of the shipments. But now you also have new variables like distance, like uh, charging time like maybe dangerous goods on an electric truck. So topics like that are new variables that you have to mm -hmm. deal with. But as I said before, plenty of cities are closing their doors for diesel trucks and for diesel engines in total. So even as if you're having a car with diesel, you're not allowed to drive into Paris soon. So yeah. then we need more of this kind of uh, yeah new fleets, new possibilities. And therefore we really changed our minds. So as I said, uh, 10, 15 years ago, we didn't expect that, that much boost on these topics. But now we are, let's say, running and uh, yeah. trucks are not available. And even there, and I think that's also highly demanded and a lot of, let's say, where the government has to change uh, their, uh, let's say, funding possibilities or um, way they're acting with that. Because maybe I've heard it in the press. So we as Schenker, we bought 50% of all manufactured electric trucks from Daimler last year. That sounds amazing. <laughs> so that's the Econ, that's only a seven and a half ton truck. So it's a small, a small mm -hmm. truck. And we bought 50% last year. But when you then notice 50% are exactly 36 trucks, <laughs> then you yeah. know there's a long way to go. Yeah. But that's then the same 
having a truck is one thing, hard to get at the moment. So we have now more than 100 trucks all over Europe in several branches. Charging infrastructure is the next topic. There are several players, fast charger, slow charger. But we have done a calculation for Stuttgart together with Daimler. And that was quite impressive, I would say, because uh, we said only with the volumes what we are having today, how many of this uh, e-counter from Daimler, the seven and a half ton trucks do we need? It was calculation around 23, 24 of these trucks are needed. So, but, and our branch is 20 kilometer outside of Stuttgart for where we are feeding, let's say the city. So if we would bring our 23 trucks at the same time to the power charging in Ilsfeld, that's the, the, the branch, uh, the city, then maybe it's getting dark in Stuttgart. So the infrastructure is not made for that. So we went to our power supplier. Can we have a bigger power line? Because we want to charge here electric trucks and a lot of them. That yes, you can have. He said, how long will it take? Oh, around 10 years. He said, yeah, big topic. So, and that is really a pain for us because we want to bring that further. The technology is getting better and better. It's a chicken egg problem, yeah? Mm-hmm. And that is, uh, and for hydrogen, even worse. But therefore, it's also cargo bikes are booming. So again, to your question from the beginning, five years ago, I had no clue what is a cargo bike. But now these <laughs> yeah. kind of cargo bikes are really getting totally crazy. Even the regulation. So when is a bike a bike in Europe? A bike is a bike from the European regulation, 86 centimeter wide and 250 watt. So e-bike. So yeah. all the rest, nobody cares. Even if it's 10 meter long, 10 meter high, 10 ton heavy, still a bike. <laughs> and that is okay. beside Italy, by the way, Italy says maximum three meter. But that's that's everything. So and that is let's say crazy. And you see it everywhere in the in the urban environment that cargo bikes are everywhere and different solutions. We have now cargo bikes and all some of our competitors as well. They are carrying 500, 600 kilogram on the bike. Yeah. So you can say it's I, part of the health management of your company, but uh, maybe not the yeah, final. Yeah, yeah. I I talked to one of the founders of Ono just uh, just this week, just a couple of days ago for the BVL Digital Podcast. So, but that's in German. So for all the German audience. He wants to find out know more about um, cargo bikes. Listen to that that uh, conversation. You've probably seen those. Are you doing anything with those guys? Yeah. If they're not, but, yeah. but there are several other uh, providers or suppliers. It's also interesting that there is not one supplier. And uh, sometimes these are, let's say, smaller startups, smaller companies. So if you want to have, let's say, 10,000 cargo bikes at the same time, the most of them are struggling because not possible. And uh, the another thing is that now the change of the urban environment is happening because when you have to think about cargo bike and I think about a city like Paris, you can't ride with your bike through whole Paris. So that means you need different points in the middle of Paris. So we call it mini hubs where a truck is feeding and then the cargo bike is picking it up and makes a delivery. And we need around for Paris, I think the calculation was around 12 of these mini hubs all over Paris, and then you can feed the whole um, urban environment of Paris. But we are only one logistics service provider. Now all of them have the same issue, and they all want to have a mini hub somewhere for the cargo bike. So now the cities also have to think about their infrastructure, what and how they are providing this kind of places, fleet possibility, mini hub solutions. And that is something where also the cities are changing their mind. And what is really good, and we see that in Hamburg, in Germany, and some other cities as well, that finally they're combining passenger transport and cargo transport because we're all using the same infrastructure. And they have mostly never done that before. They have people responsible for passenger transport in the city and people caring about logistics. And normally they do not meet that often. And that is something what is now changing. 
and finding really the possibilities to use all of these topics together. And that is also where, where logistic companies are asked from the cities, from the major, from the city, how to support, what is needed to really consult uh, cities uh, for their, let's say, infrastructure of the future, because cities are changing. When we all, let's say, having autonomous fleet in the future, we don't need parking houses, we don't need more parking places somewhere, because then somebody is the owner of the fleet and then they are driving everywhere and if you need a car something is coming and then it's going away so the the inner cities hopefully getting more green getting more let's say uh, more fresh and more let's say lively for people but um yeah we will more see livable yeah more livable yeah, yeah. We will see. more human friendly <laughs> yeah hopefully yeah so yeah. that's a big chance for for cities but what is also now seen when it comes to back to the corona pandemic situation that people rethink about their values and their, do I really have to live in the city? So we also mm -hmm. see it even with, with our employees, because if they say, okay, I don't have to be five days a week in the office, so I have a small mm -hmm. kid, so why not going outside? Somewhere where my parents are living or in a small village, whatever, where is a good infrastructure. So internet is, let's say, the most required thing. But uh, then why not living there? Because if I only have to be every second week, one day in the office, then I'm traveling then on that special day. And the rest, I'm there where my life is more, let's say, family friendly. And that yeah, is something... You, you, you touched on it briefly before, but are you personally more inclined or more open to hiring people on your team that are not close by? I mean, that are far away and that work, work remotely? Yeah. More open to that than before? Absolutely. And will you continue to be afterwards? I personally and for my team I can yeah. say yes so for the whole company that's also a change because nothing that you can say now and everything is differently but uh, what we all saw and recognize that it's possible and that is let's say that the new way of thinking a new way of learning and I also saw some interviews from some let's say CEOs and managing directors from other companies who are saying yeah I want to have my my people back at work That, that's the totally wrong word. That, <laughs> come back from holiday. Come exactly. back from your home home exactly. office holiday. Yeah. And and I would say, yeah. let's say my colleagues and my people and the, the whole Schenker people and also with a lot of suppliers and startup, what I can see, they are working more than ever, because you have to trust your people, but you have to trust your people also when they're in the office. If you have a lazy person, it is a lazy person at home or a lazy person in the office. It's the same person. So yeah. if you have a motivated person and but. Again, that is something we have to motivate the people. And then you don't care where the person is sitting. And uh, Agreed. and that's a great chance for all of us because sometimes when we, let's say, two years ago before Corona, we said, okay, but you have to travel, you have to live at your office is Frankfurt or your office is Munich, Hamburg, wherever. Said, yeah, but I'm living in Magdeburg. I'm living in Paris. So how I do not want to move for the job because my life, life is here, my private, my family, whatever. Said, and now I can say, I don't care. So that was also so my team is, for example, my team is in, 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 in Frankfurt and in Essen, and I'm mostly sitting in the train between. But uh, and and now I don't care where the people are because now we are all equal. So normally, the, let's say the people around my desk have a closer connection to me because I was there plenty of times. And when you're then there, then together on the coffee, whatever, you have a chat on something. But now we have, let's say, you're all equal. We are all sitting at home. And that is then, let's say, the great advantage when you have this kind of equal situation that everybody is working virtually in the teams where it is possible. Again, not everywhere it's possible, but uh, that's a fantastic situation. Now we can really be an attractive employer if we are opening that up. So I don't care if you're sitting in Hamburg, Munich, wherever, even 
I would say even in another country, legal-wise, yeah. not that easy because then you have a lot of, let's say, text issues. Maybe also the text law has to change, I would say, that that is possible. Because at the moment, we have certain days where you can be not in the country where your contract is. I hope that even these kind of setups will change in the future. Yeah, But I would say it's a great opportunity and a great opportunity to really be yeah, attractive for young talents. And uh, what we can also see, I would say over the last one and a half years, the fluctuation, the most of the companies was very little because people, if they have a secure job, they kept it and they said, okay, we are system relevant. Let's stay here because yeah. there are so yeah, many yeah. crazy things out there. Don't do anything wrong now. But now you see the, the light in the end of the tunnel, the vaccination numbers goes higher and higher, the infection rate goes down. And uh, now you see that people rethink about their values. What is really my purpose, my value? What do I want to have in my life? What is my personal belongings? And uh, now you can really see that people are rethink their job, changing jobs internally, but also externally. And also what I personally can really see that people don't care that much about hierarchies, about status, sometimes also not about money. It's It must be good and it must be fair, all good, but always this kind of more, 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 more attitude that is a little bit different now, I would say. Hmm. And that's a good hmm. a good effect that I would say. This, uh, what is really important? Be sometimes a little, little bit more relaxed, a little bit more relaxed on the situation. If you can't change things, it is like it is. We find another way. And uh, this kind of flexibility, also work-life balance. So as I said, I'm now sitting 67 weeks at home. That is the longest period I'm at the same place. So even that was also new for my wife and for my kids to have me every day around. So that was something we also <laughs> yeah. have to explore new. Yeah. And uh, but and showing so now we have here more than 34 degrees outside. So I had breakfast outside in the garden with my with my wife. We had lunch break in in the garden. So for 20 minutes, that's fantastic. So family wise, cool. Yeah. And yeah. that is something. Yeah. And that's then work life balance. That is, let's say, great advantage. But what we really have to learn doing breaks, stop working, shut down the, the laptop on a certain point, because we all recognize at the beginning of the pandemic situation, beginning in March, April last year, we all had the feeling, or let's say the circumstances of normal working setups. So two workshops a day or one workshop a day, that's it. So, but then in the second lockdown, we recognize that we can do that faster. Why? Because we don't have to travel, we don't need that. So now I have over a day 14, 15 appointments with different people. So now we are really getting... Uh, getting good at this, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And that is a little bit crazy. So that is something what is not a good, let's say, uh, development so far. So we always have to drain ourselves, take a break, take a brief, go out, take some sport, whatever. But um, yeah, I think even from this situation, new business models are developing even in these kind of situations. There's also 2008 when we had the world economic crisis. There was the moment where Airbnb and Uber were founded. And I think 2020, a lot of new companies and startups were founded because people rethink the situation. What can we do out of that? What kind of technology is, let's say, going further? You see e-commerce, boom. 
Totally yeah, crazy. My, my best example of that is Gorillas. You know that yeah. that quick commerce company out of Berlin that came out of nowhere, literally showed up within within the last twelve months and made it to unicorn status within like eight months or something crazy. Absolutely. By tapping into that that need, people sitting at home wanting something quick, sitting on the couch and we had a, we had not being able to go outside. A crazy chat within our team. So I said also so because we had a, this issue in Germany, uh, how the vaccination is brought to the right people and what's the fastest way to do all this kind of logistics behind. I said yeah, give the vaccine to Amazon prime and then in one week we are all vaccinated because <laughs> yeah. they are more or less every day everywhere <laughs> yeah eric we probably have time for one more one more thing you've changed your mind on there's maybe 10 more on your list but pick pick one good one that you want to share one good one that i want to share um maybe then the topic of space that is coming okay. closer than i ever expected so there are a lot of initiative, a lot of, let's say, companies are working on that and even more and more. So you might have heard that uh, uh, even Jeff Bezos is now flying to the space and he sold a yeah, one seat for, what was it, 26, 28 million? Topics in like interesting that. kind of, of a midlife crisis there going on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. No, I I'm a big so. fan. So I'm but uh, what I can see for, for logistics purposes, so we are not flying to the moon by tomorrow. That is uh, for sure, but maybe in some years. But uh, let's say using space technologies or satellite technologies really for, let's say, IoT, transparency, where is something moving? And also that, and that is something that, where I really changed my mind, even with the topic of, let's say, pollution in the city, kind of CO2 consumptions, um, all of this kind of uh, to measure where is something happening. There they use already more and more satellite technology to really have an eye on Hamburg, where is the pollution yes. coming from? What is with the harbor? So using terrestrial things, so sensoric on the ground, but also even more uh, technology from the space. And that is something where also we as logistic people, because we need a clear, let's say, transparency where the shipments are, where the trucks are. Has somebody opened the door? Is there a, a problem with the truck or with the, with, the, with the cargo? This kind of real-time information that is changing using space technology. Galileo is now finally coming, but even more. And I think when the space technology is, is available, maybe we are then faster on the other side of the Earth by flying through the space. Yeah, on the topic of the of the satellites, I recently had a podcast conversation on yet another podcast I'm doing for the city of Bremen with the chief digital officer of OHB, OHB that manufacture of satellites mm -hmm. and space equipment. And he, he was mentioning that that type of equipment, that, that sort of environmental monitoring satellites is, is one of the biggest driver of his business in the next 10 years. It's I, going to explode. I would the, imagine the, the, the same. number the number of small satellites that are oftentimes not larger than shoe like carton. a like a box like like a shoe shoe box or a, a package you would get from Amazon. That size satellite they're sending massively into space for that sort of purpose. Yeah, exactly. Incredible. That's let's say that it's the business model of SpaceX. So they are offering let's say cheap transportation possibility into the space, and now there are satellite companies booming from areas. Yeah. Kepler Systems from Canada. Bring that's like, like a shoebox, and in every SpaceX, yeah. there's minimum one or two of these small fancy uh, satellites, and they're really establishing new services. And that was something some years ago I was not expecting that fast that that is coming. There are also initiatives flying to the moon, establishing there the first uh, habitats and the buildings that will come soon. I would say in the next two years, uh, maybe two to five years, people are back on the moon, and moon is then the first step, and then we all know. Elon Musk want to go to the Mars and establishing, he said, an, an, an regular transport to the Mars, whatever regular then means. But uh, it is coming and uh, yeah, logistic is not ending on the ground. It's really going up by using first space technology 
and then somewhere then we are flying and uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. So logistic is everything but not boring. So there are plenty of changes in for front sure, of us. For sure, especially when somebody listens to you and the, the passion you bring to the table and the sort of the, the stuff you, you you think about every day. You must have the most fun job inside of Schenker, I believe, <laughs> or not. <laughs> I love what I'm doing. So that's uh, absolute, yes. I get curiosity. I'm an extremely curious person. So I really want to explore, test and be a part of stories and really um, motivate people to be a part of that and connecting the right people. And logistics, people from the heart are networker and we want to connect people, bring the right people together. And again, then also when it comes to innovation, giving the right possibility that the right people can meet and then don't care how they are bringing things further. Just give them the freedom, give, the, give them the freedom that they can work on topics for a certain time with a certain budget and certain whatever. But that's it. Nothing more to control. Because then if the right people have the possibility to work on something, then great things could happen. And that is something where the whole logistic industry is changing and we are in the middle of a huge transformation. And the cool thing is we are as logistic people, we are always sitting between the chairs. Because we have to deal with all legal setups, with all industries, with all technologies, with all, if a Brexit is happening, if a Suez Canal is, let's say, closed, if a Corona pandemic lockdown is happening, it's all impacting us. And that's something where we have to be a part of all these trends, problems, issue possibilities, and then really trying to make the best out of that. And therefore, the openness to explore new things, test things, fail with topics, and by the way, I just, uh, I don't know if you know the, the Penguin Award from Google. I'm a big fan of this kind of award. Penguin Award from Google? No. What's that? Tell me. It's for <laughs> the biggest failure. I don't know per month or per year how often they, they do that. But the Penguin Award, because you think all the, the penguins are standing on the ice shelf. So standing on the on the ice. And mm -hmm. on, the, on the ground in the ocean, there's the orca. So there's... Uh, and uh, someone has to jump first. And then the, the probability that that first penguin will be eaten up by the orca is quite high. So, ah, but then right. they mm -hmm. celebrate the first one is not, let's say, the person who has done the foolish thing or the most crazy things. No, they celebrate he was, let's say, giving his chance that it was a try. It was a possibility that he will succeed and that he will, let's say, swim into the, into the ocean. But then we celebrate him. That was the first one who tested something. He has, let's say, the power and the motivation to do. And therefore, I'm a big fan of that kind of award. I don't know if it needs such an award everywhere, but uh, this kind of methodology and way of thinking I really appreciate and like. Yeah. Awesome. Final comments. Eric, thank you very much. It was a pleasure as always. Always uh, enjoy chit-chatting with you and talking about this innovation stuff is a, is, a, is a true pleasure. Maybe you should do this more often. Good stuff, man. Thank Thanks you very so much to be on the program. Thanks a lot for the invitation. All right, that was the Logistics Tribe podcast episode with Eric Wersing from DB Schenker. If you enjoyed today's show, please tell your colleagues about it. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any of the future episodes. We have great guests and topics coming up. I'm Boris Felgendreher. Until next time.